Hello, and welcome to Talent Operations Anonymous, a safe space for process people, data nerds, system savants, and general gluttons for punishment. My name is Kyle Lagunas, Director of Strategy at Beamery, and I am your illustrious host. It's been a while, but I'm back and ready to get nerdy. Buckle up, kids. In today's episode, we're digging into one of the most common challenges we face in talent operations, utilizing the systems we have at our disposal. It's an age-old story. A recruiter prefers to work one way, their ATS or CRM is configured to work another way, and the recruiter cries, this system doesn't work. Well, in the past, system administrators would simply tell the recruiter to you know, follow the best practice process that the system was configured to support, but we all know how that goes. The recruiter opts out of using the system at all. You've heard it and likely experienced it before. So have my guests for this episode. Marcelo McKinley, Director of Talent Operations at Petco, and Marissa Daly-Bennett, Senior Manager of Global Solutions Design at PepsiCo. They're both seasoned talent technologists with extensive experience selecting, implementing, and managing global HR systems. And today, they're sharing a few of their most notable experiences from years straddling the line between talent functions and IT. More specifically, we discuss the increasingly strategic role that Ops plays in bridging the gap between these two stakeholder groups to get the most out of talent technologies. From optimizing existing systems to evaluating new solutions, Marissa and Marcelo know a lot more than we could cram into a 30-minute conversation. But I'm sure you'll find a thing or two that's worth listening to. Check it out. Marcelo, Marissa, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Hello, everyone. I am Marissa Bennett. I work for PepsiCo. I am located in the New York headquarters. And my role, basically, I'm in global HR operations, and I, I lead a lot of our global projects, you know, helping to, to redesign some of our tools and processes and, you know, meeting the, the needs of our client group. Thank you, Marcella McKinley. Uh, I work at Petco. Uh, we, uh, what is my job? I am the director of talent acquisition operations. And what that really means is that, uh, my team is responsible for everything in recruiting, except for recruiting. I joined in June and we are right in the middle of a, a giant HCM implementation when I got here. And so a little distracted by making sure that that's going to take off properly, but excited to come in and, and really build an operations, uh, group from scratch. Yeah, it's been really neat to see how many people are like hardcore nerdy for process and compliance and enablement. And you two are definitely no exception. One thing that was just fascinating to me, though, was, you know, we had a call talk like before we got on here to see like, what would we talk about? And I wanted to know more about your backgrounds. And Marissa, your story was just like, so I don't know. I'm like scratching my head. Like, who is this person? <laughs> talk, to about, talk to me about what we're, but your, the path that led you to this job. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I started out in finance and auditing, you know, my, my first real job, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance, a really exciting, um, you know, area. And, and I mean, those people that know me, they're like, what you did that. So it's, it's pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I started off doing that. I, I led a lot of compliance training programs, you know, getting people to use a tool to do their auditing. I mean, how more exciting than that can you get? 
There's a technology to, to track your compliance. How awesome is that? Yeah, so, you, actually, I, I do have to poke fun a little bit because when we were talking about, you're like, wow, this tech is really cool. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. who the hell says that auditing tech is neat? Like, I'm like, but it's so cool. Like, the tool does everything. You put something in there and it, you know, fits out a report or, you know, whatever, whatever the tool is doing at the time. So, yeah, I mean, so that that was kind of where my interest really was more. It was not really on audit and compliance. It was technology and how can we make, you know, the, the user experience more exciting and more engaging and kind of do some of these mundane tasks. You know, it kind of got to a point where, all right, what am I going to do? If I really want to do auditing, finance, accounting, I used to get my CPA, not really too exciting. So I was like, eh, I think I'm going to instead go get my master's degree in um, corporate training program. So that's what I did. So now I had this master's degree and I was still, you know, doing stock compliance. And at the company I was at at the time, L3, they basically, my boss was like, you know, we're looking to put in a, a applicant tracking system globally. Do you want to go work on that as a special project? I was like, yeah, let me do it. And that's where Marcelo and I met. It was from my illustrious diving career. Uh, no, um, that that's about as linear as Marissa's path from finance and auditing Sarbanes-Oxley over to recruiting. Uh, mine was much more linear. Uh, I started in recruiting, worked in an agency, then an executive search firm, and then I was a staffing manager at a bank up in, in Canada. One of the things that we did when I was in that uh, staffing manager role was we implemented a, a little tool called RecruitSoft. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to have you know, an online system to uh, allow people to apply to jobs and for us to evaluate candidates and then offer people jobs. I mean, this was in early 2000. And then I joined RecruitSoft in December of 2000. <laughs> joined the consulting team as a, as a consultant, went out and met clients and implemented. And it was great because I had always thought that software was really about coding. And this was an opportunity to go help folks with their business processes and change management. Mm. Uh, and oh, by the way, here's the technology that you use to do that. And there's settings and switches and configurations and zero coding whatsoever. Ran through the services organization at Taleo, managing consulting teams in the US and Canada. Went and started my own company uh, to help companies to be the intermediary between uh, organizations that were looking for HR technology and the HR tech firms. In Canada, there was nobody doing that whatsoever. And then my wife and I moved to San Diego, where we still are today. So I, I uh, wrapped up my my consulting company after a number of years to Cognizant to incubate their Taleo practice. Uh, and then after that, I was the head of recruiting at, at Amazon for a little while. And uh, lo and behold, I'm, I'm here at Petco. Yes. And I am still that same person. <laughs> totally true. You totally know, true. I, I've got to say, it's it's fascinating to me to see how many folks that were, that have been early pioneers in talent operations, and even people who have, are entering the the uh, this specific field now, it's an ATS implementation. That's the trigger. That's yeah. the point at which they're like, all right, I'll raise my hand and jump in, or somebody's going to pull me in against my will from my vacation. Yeah, it, it, it just seems like such an interesting point. And Marcella, I wonder if part of it is what you were what you were describing as what drew you in was business process and change management. Oh, and by the way, here's the technology that will help you do that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's typically the the big miss. And I've seen that going back way back to 2000. So far, far longer than I care to, to add up. And their number one thing was, well, we're, we're doing this applicant tacking thing. And we've already talked to these vendors. And uh, we like this one. So you got distracted by all the shiny objects, right. how much of that do you really need? Where's your requirements gathering doc? We don't have one. Where's your reporting requirements? We don't have that either. 
where's your processes that you've mapped out? We don't have that either. And you're already evaluating technology. And, and, and I think ultimately that's why I think the operations role is a really interesting one because mm-hmm. it allows, I, I think what it really allows is for you to put some structure behind these types of things and focus on what is, you know, um, what should be standardized and consistent. Uh, one of my bosses at Taleo had a, uh, one of the senior leaders had a really great line that I try to incorporate everywhere I go is scalable, predictable, repeatable. And and to me, when you're thinking about operations in any role, uh, in any part of an organization, if you can be those three things, it just makes your life easier because people know what to expect. I think it's a, it's a critical capability for enabling whatever change you're trying to drive. Marissa, I mean, so you you got pulled into one ATS and I wonder how you, what you think on how has like technology selection and implementation and change management, how has it evolved since? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with what Marcella was saying. I mean, it, you know, people really do get wrapped up in the, in the shiny tools and, you know, as my, as my role in HR operations, you know, it's not just ATSs we're looking at, it's all multiple tools. And and that that really is the the crux of of wanting something new. And and really it does go back to well, what are the requirements? I mean, that's constantly my question back to everyone. And nobody wants to focus on that. It's like, well, we just want to get this implemented. We have a goal live date. We want to meet the goal live date. And it's like, we don't even know what we're doing yet. You know, let's take a step back. And and you know, from my perspective, the the key focus areas is, you know, what's the end user experience going to be like, right? Because you have people designing process and and picking technology to meet the needs, but how are employees going to interact with it? Are they going to want to interact with it? Tools right at their fingertips, you know, I need information, where do I go to get it? That really needs to be the focus as well as, you know, what is the end user experience, whether it's the employee, you know, the, the TA team on the back end that's going to be using the tool, hiring managers, you know, whoever it is that needs to, to use the tool, what is their experience going to look like? And are we really putting in something that's going to enhance it or make it more complicated? So it, it really is, you know, pulling all of those things together and, and putting in something. And I think that's where HR operations really plays a role because, you know, you have the client group, they know what they want. You have the the technical group on, on the back end that's putting in the coding or, or putting in the the group on on the back end that's putting in the coding or, or putting in the the interfaces between the systems whatever it is that they're doing and and but who's really pulling all that together and that's to me that's that's where HR operations really plays a, a role I, I hope so yep. I, I, you do you it's it's funny though you're even in, t- in your sharing your perspective there you still call out people are they're working back from a go live date instead yep. of starting with what are we trying to accomplish um what what's do you, is it is it that hr and nta still lack dedicated it resources that they need and so they're mapping back to an it schedule they want something to fix it right now okay well we can fix it but let's you know we can design something that's going to be really cool but let's do that work spend a little bit of the upfront so we put something in so we're not coming back and I agree a hundred percent and I, I feel like uh, in so many of the implementations that I've been a part of <clears throat> over the years either as a client a consultant or you know on the side of the software company is that you know there, there are a lot of shortcuts that are taken in the implementation 95 percent of those shortcuts are change management related shortcuts yeah. not not really tying in the ROI of the system mm-hmm. so uh, as a great example all the Taleo implementations and RecruitSoft implementations we did over the years there's this great piece of functionality that allows that takes work to implement upfront. But guess what happens? No one wants to do it. Mm. And then what you really end up with without this piece of functionality is you end up with an electronic filing cabinet of, of applicants who have applied to your mm-hmm. jobs, 
And now I got to go through 400 people one by one instead of on a piece of paper by resumes. I got to go through them electronically and click buttons yep. instead of having this auto filtering uh, pre-screening technology that's sitting there. I think that organizations are to blame for, for not incorporating and not taking the right first steps during the implementation to get it right. I also go back to, you know, I, I put a little bit of an onus on, on, the, uh, on the vendors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who, you know, uh, and I was on that side. So, you know, uh, we don't be throwing shade at well. me, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we were we were a little guilty of doing this on our side, which is every customer who's done due diligence and has gone through a process like this always says, great, what resources are we going to need to manage this moving forward and maintain this properly? And the salespeople are like, whoa, it's very low maintenance and you don't really need a headcount and whatever. And during the implementation, you know, it's a lot of plug and play stuff and, you know, kind of that speak. And then you get there and you're like, wow, if, if we don't have resources to, to do this work during the implementation, the biggest ROI of the system disappears. When you're selecting vendors, a lot of times you can get through the RFP stage. And then guess what happens? It gets kicked over to procurement. Yeah. And then procurement goes, oh, well, why do we have all these services consulting fees in this area right here? And they're like, oh yeah, we can take those out. And then they take those out and it's like, whoa, those are all the hours that we needed to do the most important thing that the procurement people don't know. So, you know, there's kind of like a, you know, I said there are two groups. There's really like a trifecta of, of making sure that, you know, everybody gets what they need. And, and everyone has their own part to play. So that that's I guess that's been just a constant theme in having done this for so long. But none of that has to do with the recruiting process, with the recruiting desires. Like, it's all about operations, right? Everything else, yes. right. Yeah. So, cause it's, yeah. so here's my, I actually want to turn this into maybe an actionable moment for people who are listening. How do you determine when you're evaluating vendors the one who will resource you. The like when we talk about partnership, it's not just like a generic like oh we're a partner we love to partner. What questions? And I imagine it's probably during the reference process. Where do you ask the questions to suss out which vendor is going to be giving you like uh, dedicating the resources you need on their end and who are going to be proactively scoping out the solution and. Who are going to be like planning beyond just an on-time go live, but an actual successful implementation? Like, how do you get to that? You know, when you're, when you're picking a vendor, I, I do really think you need the right people in the room, and I, I think it needs to be a mix of who understands the current process today and the pain points that you're trying to address. But again, when I'm looking at something, I, I really do focus on on the process because to me, like any technology can really support a process. It's it's getting that process really defined up front and making sure that the vendors understand that. You know, th this is where we are today. We're definitely open to where we can make enhancements, but this is where we need to find a tool or technology that's going to support, you know, our current business process. And, and many companies have very different requirements on, on what that means. And a lot of times I, I think the vendors are throwing just the generic, oh yeah, we can make it work. You know, we're, we're very flexible. We can, we can, you know, meet whatever needs it is that you have. And they're not really, they don't dive into the details up front. And then you end up sometimes picking a tool that isn't really meeting all of the needs, but it's got the most flashy, you know, think, bells and whistles that don't always meet what the requirements are. And, and again, I, from my perspective, the end user is discussed up front because if you put something in that's, that's convoluted or makes somebody's job more difficult, they're not going to use it. And, you know, Marcella was referencing before, you know, something simple like a pre-screening tool. And, you know, when we first 
started working together on the L3 project, that was a big undertaking, you know, like, you know, the, the big thing was to, to fill these positions quickly and we're not getting qualified candidates. Well, there's this really great tool, but you need to put in the effort to, to design it so that it's going to work and meet your needs. And, you know, sometimes you don't always have all the right people involved to, to do that and really lead that. I think some, you know, work stream leadership teams, you know, is, is really what pulls all of that together. You know, somebody actually owning an, an entire process in a work stream and, and pulling mm-hmm. that together when you're implementing something. That's more straightforward when you're buying a piece of like a technology like an ATS. You know, for what we sell, it's not just a new tool. It There isn't like CRM is a new model for recruitment of act, like proactive pipelining and candidate nurturing. It's not just applicant processing. Yeah, I think one question that we never got asked enough and that as a consultant, doing evaluations, I always asked was, who's going to be on the project, right? Like who from the vendor is going to be on the project and why did you pick them? Mm. You would be surprised the answers that you get (laughs) because uh, having, again, having lived on that side, a lot of the times the decision isn't a strategic decision. It's a decision around availability um, or location. And and I I encourage everybody to ask these questions when you're uh, implementing solutions. Who, who's it going to be? Why did you pick them to be on our project? What made you think that they would be a good fit for our team and or our organization? And tell me a little bit about them, mm. right? So th- th- that's a really hard question because uh, a lot of a lot of companies don't want to go down that path of really pushing and asking those questions. But the, the truth is, I think that going, again, going back to my Taleo days, the one thing that separated us was that we hired functional experts and subject matter experts to be our consultants so that when they walked into a room to a customer, they would sit down and they would truly understand what it meant to be a recruiter or a staffing manager. So many of the other part of the competitors that we had back in the day, they would get technical people who knew how to configure systems really well but didn't know anything. I had no line experience as um, a, as a recruiter or a recruiting manager. Mm. I remember I remember I hired uh, the director of staffing from Hyatt Hotels to be a project manager on my team. And it took a lot of convincing, and she was one of the best hires I ever made. But the the, the difference that when you walk into a room and you say this is your project manager for your ATS implementation, Starwood. She used to be the director of staffing at Hyatt, and now she's your consultant. Guess what? The room lights up because then she sits down and she is part of the group. She's been there. She's gone through the war store. Like she, They've got all the same experiences, but guess what? She also knows the technology, a huge differentiator yeah. and one that I would, I would never I would never do it the other way. I'd never find someone who's so technical and try to teach them the functional side of the business. So you guys are leading me like right where I want this to go. We talked a lot about like ops as a function, having dual purposes that, that that domain expertise and talent and talent acquisition and HR, but then also the technical expertise. And you, you two definitely have both, which is the easier to pick up. Do you think that the technical is easier to pick up than the functional? Because it sounds like that's what you're saying, Marcella. You could find somebody that's got the tech chops, but lacking the context of what what operation you're trying to enhance. Um, I, I think it depends what job you want them to do. If they have any, if they have any uh, interactions with the line of business or with customers, I would rather have somebody who's 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 comes to the table with the functional expertise and learns the technical mm-hmm. side. If they're not necessarily 
interacting with your customers, however you define customers, I would probably rather have somebody who's technical who can learn the business yeah, side. Yeah, so like of an analyst house. running reporting and owning right. metrics. Right, and, and yeah, and there are exceptions to the rule, of course. Um, but for the most part, I feel like even the best system administrators that I saw either were functional people, like they could have even been a recruiting coordinator, like just have lived in the recruiting space for a while and then like technology, but they've just never been in that, never had the opportunity to explore that part of their, uh, their career or, you know, things in their job. Um, so I, I feel like there are exceptions. But for the most part, I kind of I kind of lean that way. Okay. And that that's where I really think, you know, HR ops plays plays a big role in this space because when you're putting in a, a new tool or you're implementing a project, many times you don't have people that have both the functional and the technical. And I, I think that's where yeah. HR ops really needs to build up their their skills in that area because they're the ones that can be the liaison between, you know, the functional side and and the technical. I mean, that that's the role that I play quite a bit, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm not super, super technical, but I, I'm learning to understand how, how the IT side works and how their brain works and really take that functional requirement and try to help them convert it into a technical requirement. So, you know, that that's where HR ops really plays, plays a huge role. The, and they're really so important to, to getting any HR process or tool up and running because, they can really speak both sides and, and pull it together. I would almost argue that that's one of the cornerstones of the function is yeah. that liaison. You know, I was talking to someone yesterday about getting com- new compliance requirements from their their um, risk officer that were relevant for recruiting. And the deck was just completely, it was Greek. My friend Eileen, she she's like, hey, look, I, I think you should send me this deck so I can translate it. And they're like, no, I think we're good. I feel like we had a really good session with them. And yeah. she's like, you didn't. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, right. there, there is a lot of that liaison. I feel like liaison, um, it's a critical part of enablement too. Um, you know, getting people plugged into what the business, how the business is prioritizing projects and and new technology coming down the pipe and new processes like enablement really is about translating like what's happening in a board level down to what needs to happen on the front line. And I think you've got to have have a really good HR ops team in place. You know, they also have insight to the rest of the company and what what else is going on. Like, you know, Pepsi is a global company, you know, we're, we're live in 85 countries, you know, there's different initiatives going on, but a lot of times it's the same or a very similar requirement. And, you know, you may have one sector putting in a tool, another sector wants a tool they're putting in, well, why aren't we trying to pull that together and maybe have one global tool? You know, and that's, that's the other part where global HR operations, they're, they're enabling services, you know, they're, you have a shared services team, you know, however they can support, they can really look at it globally and and try to simplify where they can. So we're not supporting, you know, 10 different tools that do the same thing, or, you know, take one of those tools and let's expand it. Let's make that the global tool. So, Mm. you know, they, they really can, can pull, uh, you know, all all that together and, and really lead the operations like you're saying. So, yeah. You know, one thing that comes to mind um, I'd love to discuss with you guys is, Marcella, you're talking about successful implementation being about more than just an on-time go-live. What's defined success? Uh, I mean, one thing that definitely comes to mind, it's prevalent for me as a technology vendor, is adoption and utilization of a tool, because that's the only way I get to ROI for a customer, and that's the only way I get sticky for renewals. Um, but it remains a huge challenge in a, like in talent acquisition specifically 
because recruiters are, you know, they're lone wolves a lot of time. They're like, I've got my process. Yeah. I know how I've got years of experience. I am the expert. Let's talk about implementation and change management going beyond just like getting the resources to, to scope out process and stuff. Let's talk about launch and go live and post go live. What's success look like for the two of you? Well, I, I think one of the things that gets um, pushed out during implementation and maybe never even happens at all is the reporting requirements. Um, because I think reporting requirements are, if I think of every implementation that's gone incredibly well, it starts with reporting requirements. It goes to identifying your processes based on your reporting requirements, and then you leverage the technology to enable your processes, right? And so if you do it in that order, what ends up happening is you get to the carrot and the stick for recruiters. Mm. Right. Because if if you have a if you have a reporting requirement, like let's say your CEO says, uh, I want to know how many people applied to jobs that have Argyle socks versus polka dot socks. OK. OK, great. So if you're not capturing that as a reporting requirement, you're definitely not building it into your process as optional or mandatory support you trying to get that information. So when you try to pull out that report, guess what happens? It, it doesn't exist. If you do it right, then the recruiters know that this is a mandatory piece of information that they have to deal with in their applicant tracking system, in their CRM, wherever you're pulling the data from. And so you end up with you know balancing reporting requirements with recruiters and what they're willing to do in a system, mm-hmm. right? You can't have a hundred things that you want to report on if it's going to slow the recruiting pace down because recruiters now have to put every single piece of data into the system, check every single box, there's, they're going to lose all their velocity, right? Recruiters want to be recruiting. They're, they should be people, people, people um, who are out there networking, uh, nurturing relationships and helping to close candidates and work with hiring managers. Okay. And if you make them kind of, if you, Put them in the swamp of all these uh, activities and mandatory tasks in your ATS or CRM, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. And that's where you get like the rogue maverick uh, type recruiters. Um, so I think there's always a delicate balance between recruiting, uh, reporting requirements and then what you want your recruiting team to do. And that leads right to adoption. I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I worked at a prior company where when, when I was hired, I was relaunched the use of Taleo. <laughs> And so, you know, that was their recruiting tool. And, you know, we got in a room, I brought, you know, and and to help get the adoption up front, I actually brought into the room the biggest complainers of the tool. Because if you can get them to to feel like they're part of the redesign or the relaunch, right away you're already you're already getting their buy-in. So but the reporting requirements, I mean, that that really does play a big role in it because you know, doing something because it's required and we, we need to be able to report this up to the top, they're not going to do it. You know, we had Taleo needs to be tracking. We need to make sure, you know, we're we're looking at multiple candidates. We have a, a, they're all using LinkedIn. That's the only tool they were using. So how do you get them to still continue to do what they need to do to get their jobs filled, but meet those requiring those re- reporting requirements? So it, it there is a delicate balance between yep. between the two. I think that the uh, bringing in champions from the start is a really good play. I have seen, I mean, that's a balancing act as well, though. I have seen where the recruiter stakeholders are sitting at the table and they are saying, well, I don't understand why 
this doesn't exist. I don't understand yeah. why the system can't do that. You've asked them to paint their perfect solution picture for you. And then they, they think that it's just, well, I can conceptualize it. Why isn't it built? Why is, you know, why can't we get that? And so it can derail, you get scope creep, it can derail the evaluation process because at the end of the day, maybe we are going to prioritize reporting and you're you're just going to have to align to that. Um, I do feel like stakeholder management in that exercise is really challenging, but mm-hmm. very critical. One thing that comes to mind is optimization. Marcella, you and I had talked about, we've got this AT, existing ATS, we've had it for three years. It doesn't work. It won't do anything we want it to do. We need to, you know, they're bringing you in for uh, re-evaluating a new solution. This will do what you want it to do. It's just not implemented correctly, or you haven't optimized it. You have a backlog of new features and new releases that you have not actually done anything with for the last two years. A lot of people are focusing some energy on re-optimizing their current solutions now. What are some optimization priorities? What are some projects that you think that people could be looking at and considering? Well, I, I always go back to anytime you're thinking about optimization efforts, it's measure, improve, and evolve, right? You, you need to be able to measure what you're doing um, so that you can identify things that you want to do better uh, or things you want to stop doing altogether uh, or things you need to start doing. Um, and then how do you um, build the processes and the change management to support the evolution? Those, I mean, that, that's the only way to truly do optimization. You know, people wanting to rush to uh, vendor evaluations and selections. I, I think I've, I've turned down lots and lots and lots of money by just talking to companies, not doing that and changing their mind and, and really leveraging what they've already got. It, it really is hard for companies to, to haven't really been leveraging the technology uh, because internally the conversation says, well, we haven't been able to do this because of our technology. Okay, we'll go find a technology that can do it. So then they go to shiny objects and they come back and go, oh, look at all these things that these other vendors Sorry, can do. But I found something That's my else. Google. <laughs> Google does not have any information about that. I'm not surprised. They've never been in recruiting. So I, I feel like no one ever challenges them internally to come back and evaluate the current technology can do that or not. And, and most organizations, I think, go through not a great implementation and then they don't allocate resources internally to be on top of the functionality that gets released along the way, right? And we've, we're now 20 years into, you know, SaaS cloud-based systems. And, and a lot of companies just don't have it right. Staying on top of features and functionalities, they take the minimum, you know, the minimum release. So it's least impactful. And then you get to this point and you don't have a mobile career section even though your vendors had it for oh, yeah. years. Uh, and and, that, and you, it is astounding how many never turned on mobile uh, career sites uh, as, as recently as two yeah. years ago, sitting with uh, the product leadership team for one of the major ATSs, global ATSs. And they're saying, we're forcing this change on people because the mm-hmm. vendor was tired of getting a bad rap in the market for not have, having mobile career sites like we do. And we just turned it on. Yeah. One thing that comes to yeah. mind though, um, is you had talked about ops about scalable and repeatable. Um, I have to wonder if one of the risks you run during implementation, if you especially if you are process focused, is over configuring to fit current process and not actually being mindful of process evolution. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to a talent leader, an ops leader, whomever, who is inheriting a system and they're like, what the hell is this? I have no idea why they built it this way. I would build it this way. 
and you know, so they put their own right. thumbprint on an implementation. Um, Marissa, have you have you guys seen this? I I know you you've got a, a monster uh, environment for a global organization. How do you combat that? How do you make sure something is repeatable and scalable and it, like you know iterative? Tough to do that, especially when you have multiple people involved in making a decision. You know, there needs to be somebody that kind of takes that and and leads it and owns it. And so, you know, part of my role is to do that. You know, before we start engaging on, you know, something new or we're customizing something, you know, should we go out and see if other sectors are experiencing the same challenge? And can we maybe pull a group together? Now, I know you don't always have time to do that, but really that is the best way. Let's pull some people in and and see if we can attack this in in a it can be scalable and repeatable because when you get to a company the size of Pepsi, that's huge. You know, it, we can't have customized for every single offshoot of a process, right? We need to have some sort of standard. So that's always kind of the way we go in with projects is, you know, here's the standard. Tell me why you can't do it. Let's talk about why the standard isn't going to work. And then we can start to make adjustments, but you really need to start with go and start customizing. It, yeah. It's a challenge. I mean, we find that you know, a simple field in our system, you know, one specific field, they need all different values for every country because that's their requirement, you know, whether it's a legal requirement or a business process. I do wonder if that com- that, that actually it is validation for Marcelo's recommendation when you're finding out who your solution delivery consultant is, why them? Why are they on this project? Oh, do they actually have experience like supporting organizations in my industry of like kind? Oh, well, then they actually can give me some best practice consulting in the solution design, say, or hear me out. You might think about doing it this way because you don't know what's going to change from a compliance perspective, as an example, in the next two years. They might have some domain expertise. I just, I I see sitting on the vendor side. Ultimately, we do what the customer tells us to do, whether or not we think it's best practice. Um, it's it's it behooves us, I think, to um, build more credibility and to build more expertise with the solution and what kind of uh, uh, problems we're trying to address, so that then we can push back. I feel like once you've fully implemented, it's you're in. It's a little difficult to go back to scratch. But that's where you know Marcella's point earlier. You know, if if the team that's delivering is made up of people that are on the functional side and really understand that's I I really think that's key that's what's going to drive the direction of where you're going to take something somebody that really does understand your business or the size or you know the challenges Mm -hmm. that's where they're going to help drive how it should be deployed okay so it's it's interesting because I you know I was a market analyst for eight years before I came over to Beamery, and I saw just a huge wave of replacements for ATS specifically. Now Workday has over two thousand ATS customers, and CRM. I, I mean, of course, I live in CRM now, so I'm seeing it a lot more. But the number of enterprise Fortune one hundred organizations, the number of small organizations, I mean, companies of all sizes are we need a CRM or we need to replace our legacy CRM. What's driving these replacement cycles from your perspectives? HR, right? And so while you have companies, and Petco is an example of, hey, we're, we're, we're moving to Workday. We're putting everything under Workday. I, I think that you, know, you make some, some compromises when you do that in all the functional areas because there's, you know, it's not great at everything. It's really good at most things. Uh, and that's not just Workday. That's the same with you know, SAP and with Oracle, et cetera. 
but the best of breeds are the ones where, you know, this is where it started. And, and I think for CRMs, <laughs> right, but it hasn't happened. Right. And, and, and so you're going to, you're going to see this shift in the market again in another four to seven years of now companies going, Oh, well, I don't want to build my own. Look at these guys over here going out to market and getting a CRM and the plugin the reason why best of breeds work really well right now is because the plugin with the APIs are not costing $150,000, right? And then you get the, you know, you get the vendors who are working with the HCM companies and pre-building integrations so that it is truly plug and play. There's like a little pain in the butt during the implementation, but it's not as yeah. big as it used to be. I do have to wonder though, looking at how the, the talent function is evolving, if the need for deeper capabilities beyond processing applicants is part of what we're seeing with an uptick in CRM as well. I mean, it's it's just so interesting to me to see people, I mean, you're, you're, we're, we're talking about implementations and having proper scope and focusing on process and, and, uh, and recruiter experience. So many of our customers come to us wanting CRM as a model, not just as a, as a tool, out of the box. They're like, oh, we've got a CRM now. So now we're modern recruiting. But there's no change management to teach people what pipeline right. looks like. And and I mean, it, a CRM really is scaling best practice that the most effective recruiters have really used. And it's just not requiring everybody to be the best recruiter. It's powering some of that. I feel, I feel like there's there's there definitely are two things happening there. But again, I am very open to offers if anybody wants to acquire Beamer. <laughs> listen, listen, I'll, I'll tell you, I think it's going to actually go the other way a little bit. Like I, I always thought that um, after uh, Taleo acquired a small company, turned it into Taleo Business Edition, right? Like this lower, um, you know, lower market. And then when it got bought by Oracle, I, I always felt that they were going to go, don't really like those small company. I, I thought they were going to spin it back off to the market and it hasn't happened yet. I, I still, I still, am, I'm hoping that it's going to come back to market one day as a, as a, you know, small enterprise uh, solution that becomes it, a, its own niche player because it really deserves that. What is the number one thing that you would recommend um, your peers focus on going into 2021? How, how do we future proof ourselves or ensure minimal disruption? You know, to all to all the listeners, the the focus really needs to be on on the the end user and and how people are going to interact with the different tools that you're putting in place. Um, especially now, you know, being with COVID, everybody's home. You know, we're we're kind of all interacting differently anyway. Focusing more on technology and you know how do we get our job done quicker, faster, easier. You know, all, all those words that describe that. That really needs to be the focus on on whatever. HR function you're working on, you know, how, how is it really going to benefit the end user? Yeah. I'm already seeing this question coming up in interviews from candidates. I think future proofing, it, it, it doesn't really change like the model of like how to future proof a team, a group, an organization. It really, you just need to be thinking ahead. Right. And for me, thinking ahead means, you know, what's going to differentiate us and how are we going to add value? We're going to add value by building in systems and processes and tools and programs that make recruiting more effective and efficient to the entire organization. While Pepsi has a giant global organization, um, you know, ours isn't, a, you know, Petco isn't a huge global organization, but we have like what we call omni-channel or omni-segments that we recruit for. So recruiting for hourly workers in a store is very different than uh, recruiting for a, a, a doctor of veterinary medicine who could be in that same store. And, and so the, the challenges become building things that are scalable and predictable and repeatable 
but also relevant. And then how do you identify what the value is that you bring to the organization? You know, you're either trying to eliminate your, yourself, like you're either trying to eliminate your own job by, by putting things in that are so great that they don't need me anymore kind of thing. Or you go back and you go, wow, they can't live without this team. If this team disappeared, what would happen to the organization? Yeah. Right. Where would they go to? Or where would they go to for yeah, this level? Well, of I mean, I'm always mindful of, you're talking about measurement. Uh, it's like, if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist in the business. And so I, I, I actually really like the idea of applying that lens to uh, your experience for recruiters, your recruiting team. So if you can't measure what you're enhancing for them, what what are you doing? I mean, it's just spending money and, and creating thrash, like putting in new tools. Before we sign out, I wanted yeah. to comment on one thing that we, we missed earlier which is when we were talking about processes and like old processes, there's this great quote a long time ago. It was, it was OP plus NT equals EOP, which is old process plus new technology equals expensive old process. <laughs> I started every single conversation with customers that way during the sales cycle because it, I went back to, okay, you just saw all this great functionality in the demo that you just had. It can lift and shift awesome from what you're doing today but you're going to get the same results. You need to change your processes and then this technology will help you do that. So anyways, I wanted to, I want to call that. I don't know if you can clip that. Oh, in I mean, earlier. I'm going to throw it in at the very <laughs> beginning. I, that might actually be the only thing on the episode. Yeah, that was great. Twitter and tweet that and create some hashtags. You, you Take got, all of my money <laughs> Uh, you guys are Let's awesome. Thanks for bringing it. Um, I can't wait to see where you guys go next. Your thought leaders. I appreciate your time. All right, talent operators. That is all we have time for today. Marcelo, Marissa, thank you guys so much for making time for me. I really appreciate you sharing what you know. Um, look, I know we've covered a lot in this episode, but a couple of things really jumped out to me. The first is, of course, Marissa's point about putting recruiters' experience at the core of tech strategy. This cannot be overstated. Um, you know, in fact, I often find that when we are prioritizing business needs and we're chasing efficiency just for the sake of efficiency, we really lose sight of what's most important, uh, which is recruiters. This is our number one stakeholder for talent operators. Uh, and, and I really hope you agree because this is a theme that's gonna come up frequently throughout this season. Um, of course, the second point that really jumps out at me is one of the last that Marcelo makes. Uh, Marcelo, I, I love this advice about ensuring an, a successful launch of new technologies. Ask your vendor who's going to be working on your implementation and ask them why they're putting that person on the project. Look, your solution delivery team is gonna play a critical role in change management and that starts from the first day. Engage these people with an expectation of shared ownership of success and you'll see a major difference in your experience going forward. There is so much more to unpack here, but of course, that's why I had Marcelo and Marissa on. Um, they are super smart and, and I hope you can tell they're genuinely passionate about what, what they're working on. So if you're not connected with them on LinkedIn, get after it. Otherwise, until next time, bye. I love you. Bye.